Welcome to The Fine Line. I'm Liz Willette Daniels. And I'm Emily Gold. As longtime veterans of the restaurant business as well as wine importing and distribution, we wanted to start a podcast to learn how the people we admire balance hedonism and health. We wanted to explore people's individual journeys to pursue their love of eating and drinking as well as health and wellness, and we ask how they learn and grow in this process. If you are liking this podcast, please do rate and review. Enjoy the show. Keiko Nicolini is here with us, and we're super excited to talk to her. She is the CMO and general manager at RCUP and a marketing guru and reuse leader fighting plastic pollution through strategic partnerships, system solutions, and industry-changing product innovations. Her experience with entrepreneurial and more established brands, including Govino, Rishi Tea, Ely Cafe, and Flowers Vineyards, makes her a key driver of our cup's continued growth plans, like the recent spearheading of the brand's extension with Rware reusable serveware for the hospitality industry. Growing up in the world of restaurants, legend has it that Keiko could fillet a Dover sole and saber a bottle of champagne before she could ride a bike. Today, as a lover of the outdoors, a yogi, a mom, a kitchen adventurer, Keiko finds balance very important in all aspects and ages of life, especially when helping soon-to-be moms as a DONA-certified labor doula and prenatal yoga instructor. Thanks so much for being here, Keiko. (laughs) Great to see you. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to chat with you ladies. Me too. So we know that you've worked in the wine industry. You are a doula. You're a yoga teacher, as Liz just said. Can you tell us how your career has shaped and how you ended up now being in sustainability? Sure. Um, Well, I I grew up in hospitality. Um, Didn't really stand much of a crying chance to to get out. And my first role was at uh, Iron Horse Vineyards, which is a beautiful, beautiful estate property uh, in Green Valley and Russian River, California in Sonoma County. And um, all of the winery projects that I've worked with um, have been uh, either estate uh, wineries or um, producers who work very, very closely with their growers. Um, and so there, it it became abundantly clear to me very early on that there is a, an immediate relationship with, with the qualities, uh, of the wines and the level of stewardship and commitment to the land, you know, so, so just the, the idea that, um, that love of land and, and stewardship, um, is, is inherent in at least the the aspect of the wine business that I participated in. Um, I helped initially launch a uh, reusable shatterproof uh, wine glass to market in 2010 called Govino. And even then um, reuse was at the forefront of that brand messaging. Um, I returned in, in 2017 um, to help usher in new ownership there. And it became abundantly clear that we needed um, each some um, defined uh, metrics and standards for sustainability in the manufacturing on the manufacturing side. Uh, and also that we had an opportunity um, 
to really promote reuse through the glasses use um, in the front end marketing side through uh, events and activations. And so I spent the the better part of two years um, assembling and and um, and repositioning uh, Govino through the lens of sustainability and reuse. And then through that work, I um, arrived at my current role with our cup, uh, which is a, a fully uh, rentable, reusable cup system. Um, I'm, I'm really, really excited about the work that we have just launched to market with our wear, uh, which is a reusable uh, food uh, to go uh, container system for restaurants specifically in this time. Um, it's it's amazing what we were able to accomplish really through through the lens of COVID, frankly, where you know all things became possible, uh, where there was so much um, challenge, but but. Um, opportunity to re-examine priorities, re-examine how things are done. Um, I, I think that the world is just ripe and, and ready right now for um, for some much needed systemic change. And, and that's really what reuse is, is all about is, um, you know, originally recycling was was introduced and preceded by reduce, reuse, recycle, and and somehow in our disposable uh, and and hyper convenient consumer culture, we we lost the reduce and the reuse. Um, but the recycling infrastructure that we have now really isn't sustainable, um, and so it, we are forced to um, re-examine our infrastructure and what what we can do. And so that's that's what I've been working on uh lately um that i the, i do the lens of hospitality of yeah i do think i mean through covid one of the major issues has been how much to-go food is happening and how much is now getting thrown away or you know poorly recycled yeah i pretty much nothing gets recycled i mean it, it feels good to to the consumer to think that it's recycled mm -hmm. but that's that's really just not what's happening less than 10% of what is discarded is is actually uh recycled um but in this time you know it it became really important not only to attack the the plastic waste um uh, issue, but how could we do it and and serve the restaurateurs um, who have just been devastated and and really disproportionately impacted uh, by COVID? How how could we merge these um, issues? And so the the program that we've put together um, has a loyalty program. Uh, there are self-scan return stations that we house at restaurants to drive clientele back to the restaurant. Um, and also, I think it's an opportunity for, for restaurateurs who right now are not always able to visit with their customers in the dining room to have um, an interaction or a transaction that, that is purposeful, that's mission-driven, mm. where even if they can't uh, spend time, they can have an opportunity to have a, have a shared mission and, and connect in a meaningful way that way. 
So is the thought that I would bring my stuff back to the restaurant and they would fill it up or I would just reuse it at home for my own leftovers and whatnot or both? So you, so, so you bring it back to the restaurant. Mm-hmm. There's an app. Okay. <laughs> has an app. There's an app. <laughs> the app is called Our Turn. We stock the restaurants with uh, to-go wear. They implement it and use it operationally as they would any to-go wear. Um, we either uh, sticker it with a QR code or chip it with, with an RFID uh, chip. And then when the guest picks up their order, uh, they scan the code into their app. And then when they return the container to the kiosk, they scan the container again and they're issued uh, reward points mm. and, uh, or, or any other um, gift that, that the restaurant might want to offer to drive repeat business. That's great. That's terrific. That's something whose time has come, I think. For sure. Yeah. We, uh, we actually had branded Govino's as our wedding gift. True. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we we love them. We travel with them everywhere. I love that. I still yeah. I still yeah. take my everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> so you have had you've also I've always known you to be really involved in fundraising projects, things you're doing on the side, activism. Um, tell us a bit about why and how you got into all that and what that means to you, because it's clearly a a. Uh, just a passion that and a labor of love. Yeah, you know, I, I in thinking about the trajectory, my trajectory in moving from um, the wine business into sustainability, um, it's it's a great question, Liz, and um, and I think it, it's how I got from point A to point B. Um, you know, as, as much as I love the industry and the people uh, in the wine business and in hospitality, um, I got to a point in my career where I, I really wanted to be doing more um, impact-based work, more mission-based work. I, I, wanted, I wanted my work to have greater purpose mm-hmm. um, that, than it did. And so I one of the first projects that that kind of led me down this path um, was, well, we made one, we made a wine, uh, Steve Clifton and I made a wine for um, uh, earthquake relief in in Haiti. Uh, That was followed up by a project that I did with um, Shelly Lindgren and and at A16 restaurant in San Francisco uh, and Helen Keplinger from Keplinger Wines. And we made a wine called La Cucina uh, for La Cucina um, in in San Francisco, which is a culinary um, entrepreneur uh, incubator that services mostly um, uh, women uh, food entrepreneurs. and, and, you know, all of that parlayed then into, you know, my work as a doula. I was a mother at a very young age. I had my son when I was 19, um, had a lot of complications in his delivery, um, had my daughter uh, 13 years thereafter. Um, and, and through those experiences really um, got to understand firsthand um, the the need and opportunity to to support women in that um in that space specifically 
Yeah, that's terrific. And I, you've done a lot of other things. I mean, those are just a couple of them. I feel like I remember you filling containers with, I don't know, I feel like every disaster that happens, which is often you're involved, <laughs> which is really incredible because I know how busy you are. Yeah, my my um, kind of other side hustle right now, um, you know, I'm, I'm splitting my time between um, Vermont, uh, like central Vermont, um, and and still in in Bedford Stuyvesant in Brooklyn, um, I I do a lot of work right now working with the um, city electeds in issues of um, housing uh, and specifically how equity within housing. Um, a lot of tenants' rights work. A lot of um, uh, working within the um, Department of um, Homeless Services and um, petitioning and and advocating for women's rights within within that space. It's just it's really necessary. That's amazing. So between Vermont and Brooklyn and all of your work in terms of sustainability and being a doula and yoga, how do you find balance in your own life in terms of, you know, diet and exercise, staying sane in general? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, well, well, the first part is I, I keep the hours of a toddler. I really do. I mean, I am in bed early. I'm up early. Um, but, but sleep is, I mean, Sleep is is my best resource and and my teacher, um, and and rest in general. You know, I am really fortunate to um, do work that I love, um, and I'm I have a tendency to go hard at at all at all things. Um, but I also I will rest. I will rest. I will take a day and you know lay in, um, stay quiet read and and unapologetic mm-hmm. about good it. for you unapologetic about it was that always easy for you or did you have to learn how to do that no I really had to learn I mean I I grew up in a household that was always on always going um very very intense and um it, it took me a long time to learn how to allow myself um to rest and and to be patient with myself, uh, care for myself when I needed it, um, and and make myself the priority. Good for um, you. Yeah, I don't do yeah. that enough. I, I I mean, I would have to be like flat out sick to to just and and I com- I mean, good for you. That is terrific. I don't know how to. I have to. I have to like schedule in time to rest and days to rest. And even so, it makes me feel so guilty. I spend the whole time being like, "Should I be doing something productive?" Exactly. (laughs) But how do you feel after? You know, I mean, like if you scrape the guilt part off, um, you know, I'm I'm super results driven, and the fact I do it because I I feel better and I'm able to to re-engage, um, you know, at, at a, at a higher level, frankly, Good for uh, you. Than, than when I'm just dragging ass yeah. all the time. I, I agree a hundred percent. No, that, I think it makes huge sense. It just is like such a mental effort still mm-hmm. to like tell myself I have to do this thing that's going to make me feel recharged so that I can then work more efficiently. 
Um, and it feels nice, you know, and when I have a day where I lay on the couch and read for four hours straight, I'm like, there's never a moment that I'm happier than that moment. Yeah, you're good at that. I can't. <laughs> well, well, if you need permission to do it, I'm <laughs> you. Yeah, I'll give you permission then. Uh, thank you. <laughs> I, well, I think that's been so the gift with this time that we've had with COVID is, I mean, now when I have a day that would have been a typical day forever, that's just go, 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 go. I mean, I still go, 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 but it's like not to the same extent. And then I'd have plans at night and then plans the next day and all that stuff. It's like, how did I do that for so long? I, it's it's amazing. I'm, I'm now angry when I have plans. I'm like, oh, God, I have to leave. I have to put makeup on, and now I have to. I mean, no, I mean, yeah, I love pants. Seeing, seeing people pants, exactly, <laughs> all the things. But oh, that's great. Um, how much do you personally do yoga? Oh, a lot. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, a lot. I I started practicing on January first, two thousand. I I mean, anybody who's ever gone to a yoga class on New Year's Day you know that it's going to be so full because everybody's, you know, motivated to have their, their resolution, their new year's resolution. Um, and, and I was absolutely one of those. Um, I had been, uh, working as a sales rep, um, and in California and just spending so much time in the car. And I mean, I was young, I was, you know, 20, Three, 24 years old um, at that time. And uh, my body hurt more than somebody, you know, of that age. And I thought, oh, I really, I need to figure this out. This is not, I can't make this choice for myself long term. Yeah. Um, and so I began and it pretty much from the, the, from my first practice, I, you know, quickly went to practicing three or four or five days a week in studio. Um, fast forward 2013, I uh, did a, a teacher training with Rodney Yee and Colleen uh, Sedman Yee at Yoga Shanti um, out in Sag Harbor, New York, and really uh, never had the ambition to teach publicly. Um, but wanted to deepen my practice. I just, I wanted, I'm curious. I mean, in general, I'm, I'm a pretty curious individual and I, I just wanted to know more. Um, and I have, I, I tend to process a lot of information physically, you know, whether it's walking or surfing or, or my practice, it's, it's a time where I can, um, be quiet where I can reflect um, and, and sometimes get my head out of it and just let um, information, let my body um, physically process information. Um, so I, I rely on my practice, you know, not only to uh, for, for exercise and, and physical wellness, but also for um, absolutely mental wellness as well. Yeah. And tell us about surfing. When did you get into surfing? Um, I, <laughs> my One of my favorite subjects in the world. Yeah. Um, I, when I was uh, 17 years old, I um, had uh, completed one year of college at Bard College um, in, in upstate New York in Annandale. And I uh, 
decided I couldn't make it through another New York winter. And so I put all of my belongings at general delivery and uh, sent them to Hilo, Hawaii, where I had never been before. Amazing. Amazing. And I uh, ended up staying in Hawaii for uh, almost four years, uh, living on the Hamakua coast, which is a remote part of the um, northeastern uh, side of the island, um, you know, up a, a four wheel drive road, uh, living in a 28 foot teepee with no uh, plumbing, no electricity. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, it, was, it was about as um, juxtaposed to my New York City, you know, born and bred existence that you could possibly conceive. And uh, so I learned to surf in Hawaii. And, um, and then I moved from Hawaii to California. And um, yeah, I mean, it was great when I was uh, working at Flowers Vineyard. Um, I lived on the summit between Santa Cruz and San Jose. And I could surf in the morning and then fly out of San Jose Airport to whichever market I needed to, you know, be airdropped into at the time. Perfect. Yeah, you and I have surfed together. And, you know, I think it's so different than any of the other sports I do. And they're all all the sports are unique for different reasons, you know, but I think surfing is so meditative you're out there alone basically you'll run into people you know in the lineup you chat whatever but for the most part you're out there alone i mean it's you know when alan and i paddle out together we're not surfing together really you know because you're, you're catching different waves and but it's there's just nothing like sitting out there just bobbing around with the the sun on the water and then in addition you catch a wave and it's the biggest high ever so yeah. It's just, it's such a great... I don't know. Surfing scares me. ...thing. And it is the scariest thing I've done, too. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, I've never been really scared. Um, I. It's always been abundantly clear to me that, like, it is not a landscape where I am in charge. Yeah. Which which I think um, is part of the appeal for me. You know, I, I spend a lot of time kind of being being in charge of something whether it's in charge of the pro my project or my my children or my team um to be in a space where i'm i'm not in charge uh is um quite a relief it's very relaxing for me um to have to defer to to the power of of the ocean um and also it's a space where i um i love pushing myself hmm. you know I, I love big wave surfing um i love how present one must be in those circumstances there's there's not a lot of time to um to be distracted so or sweat the small stuff and mother nature will show you very quickly out there oh yeah <laughs> that you are a hundred percent not in charge yeah it's also a fascinating <laughs> sport and then i'll, I'll about surfing <laughs> I know. I'll, I'll move on after this comment but you know i was with someone the other day and i was saying well it's just never the same two days and they're like well neither skiing and i'm like no you can't compare it like skiing is the yes the conditions change a little bit but for the most part but being a human on the like ground is different like it's that's very something, different that's like a feeling we're used to even if skiing is different than walking 
Exactly. And, you know, the conditions do change with skiing, but nothing compared to how it is with surfing between the size of the wave, the wind, the amount of people that are out there. It's just it. you've never had the same session twice. And I mean, I'm I'm the same skier all the time. I'm never the same surfer. Some days I completely suck. Some days I'm like, oh, maybe I have this figured out. You know, it's <laughs> and then it goes away right away the minute you think that. So it's it's very humbling. I yeah, big fan. If I ever decide to fully address my control issues, I'll try surfing. <laughs> it's a good oh, way to do it. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> it's a good way to do it. We'd like to take a moment to thank the sponsor of this episode, the Boulder Wine Merchant. This is where we go for all of our favorite wines as well as the occasional trip for beer or tequila. If you're not sure what your favorite wines are, the Boulder Wine Merchant's weekly tastings are the perfect way to find out. And with curbside pickup available, it couldn't be easier. Stop by or call the store and mention the code FINELINE15 for a discount. That's FINELINE15 for 15% off bottles of wine and 20% off cases. So as you mentioned, you grew up in New York City, and now you're splitting your time up in Vermont on a botanical farm you, I assume, originally went up there for the pandemic, but you're still there at least part-time. So tell us about what that transition has been like, what you love about living up there. You know, are you staying up there? You're going to just continue to have the best of both worlds? Yeah. I mean, I I have spent most of the last year um, living, you know, on, on very remotely. Um, on a few hundred acres, most of which is untouched. Um, it was a really um, interesting and beautiful place to um, process the pandemic. Uh, I don't really know how else I personally would have survived. I and mean, the idea of um, of being in, you know, my 1100 square foot apartment in, in Bed-Stuy for a year just seems uh, daunting and unrealistic to me. Yeah. yeah, So, so I, um, before New York city shut down, I, I don't, I was, I was on to the coronavirus thing very early on. And I, I, think just from having friends in Asia, having friends in Italy, what really seeing what was happening. Um, the week before the shutdown, I, you know, put my kids in a rental car and drove up to, um, to my godparents' farm. And they have a, a beautiful um, organic farm called Foster Hill Botanicals, where they grow um, well, they grow all kinds of organic botanicals. They have a line of teas and dried herbs. Um, they produce really the best uh, CBD products that mm. I've um, experienced. Talk about getting a good night's sleep. I mean, yeah, going to bed early paired with CBD is like what you know. I can I can do anything after <laughs> <laughs> after that night's sleep. Um, yeah, and you know, I, I we thought we were going up for a few weeks. Um, I ended up leasing a house. Uh, I'm so lucky. The house that that adjoins my godparents' property um, became available uh, to us, and so I, I scooped it up very quickly. Um, 
And I think that, first of all, having such strong family support in that time for myself and my kids, being close to my godparents who who really function as my parents um, at this point um, was extraordinary. And both each for me, just trying to figure out how to navigate um, COVID, how to navigate it as, um, as a mother, how to navigate um, my, my company, uh, through this time, uh, really having support was, was invaluable. Yeah. Um, and, and also for my children to feel like they had a larger kind of family unit, um, to work within was, was really, um, God, we just discovered so many blessings in mm. this time in this time. Um, and, you know, the culture of Vermont is, um, it's a really beautiful and unique culture. And I think um, for for me and, and for my family, so many of our family values were, were easily realized within kind of Vermont's cultural proposition, right. uh, whether it be, you know, I mean, it, you know, from a sustainability or environmental standpoint, um, or you know, food sourcing and, and access to just really beautiful local produce and dairy, and I mean, all all of the things are are really right there. All of the things that are important to us are mm-hmm. really immediately available in Vermont. It's just, it's an extraordinary, extraordinary place. We're, we're all deeply, deeply in love um, with the place and, and also with the people. And does Reyes go to school online? How's that been working? Yeah, my daughter Reyes has, um, has done uh, school entirely remotely cool. this year. Right. I, uh, you know, I pulled her out of school last year before schools closed, and I just um, was not really comfortable putting her back until uh, we had a better clearer plan. And, you know, she's a kid that needs um, consistency. And I knew that even if schools opened, there would be open, you know, opening closures. And I just, I didn't think that she had the um, uh, constitution of a kid who could um, kind of check and jive with that. Some, some can and and do it beautifully. And I think that there's a lot of value to, to in-person um, I, I am excited for her to go back to school next year, but um, this was the choice that we made for this year. Yeah, that's great. I mean, it, you can't really make a better choice than being with your family on a farm in Vermont. <laughs> it's been pretty great. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and she has become, you know, such a such a little, you know, outdoor kid. I mean, we were about as New Yorky as as you can get. I mean, her hundred percent you were. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, she was like, um, studying dance at Alvin Ailey and, you know, which meant just Saturday mornings alone were, you know, running to the train, you know, running to the subway to get to class on time to, you know, and then having a day in New York city, um, you know, and, and circling back around. Um, she, she is, she was just a, a real city kid. And now, I mean, I don't think she's worn shoes in a year. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I mean, she just wants to be outside all the time. And, you know, we were able to walk or hike or go. I mean, she goes sledding for an hour before school even starts in the morning just by flinging the door open and, and <laughs> being on her way. Um, she's become a really beautiful and very avid um, horseback rider. Great. And I see a lot of... Um, I see her realizing a lot of the benefit um, of mind body work in, in riding um, really just having to pay attention and having to focus. And, and I, again, being um, in a space with something larger than she um, and how to navigate that and, and, um, and glean from it. That's really cool. It's, you know, we, there's, there are so many stories about people whose lives have been derailed in ways that are totally traumatic through the pandemic. And it just is so heartwarming to hear the story of your daughter's life being permanently changed for the better. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a beautiful story. It makes me makes me feel really happy. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. And I, I loved watching her. Um, I mean, we, we we are in a very beautiful situation and, and I'm deeply grateful um, for for where we landed and and what our experience was um, and also I don't, I don't think that the pandemic was easy for anybody um, but watching both of my children I mean I'll, I'll speak to Reyes uh, just because we're we're already riffing on her but um, <laughs> whether you know whether it be spending time outdoors or um, or riding to to use these resources um, as a way to process um, what was happening in the world. Um, she's she's leaving. You know, she she's she's getting some real tools. She's cultivating some really good tools. Yeah. Right. So we've talked about your godparents and getting to be with your family and. You know, one of the things that Liz and I have talked about is what it has been like for you having um, a stepfather who was abusive and who eventually was arrested um, for sexual assault charges. And, you know, we just want to hear about what it is like. You know, first of all, thank you so much for sharing this with us. And, you know, we want to talk about what it's like to make a life and figure out how to be okay one day at a time. And, you know, if you have anything that you want to share about what you've learned or what advice you can give to people who are in abusive relationships, anything like that, we'd love to hear. Yeah. I mean, I, I, relationships of any kind, regardless of the dynamic are complicated, right? I mean, human we as a species human beings we're complicated we're not simple um and and we're not one thing yeah. you know i i've spoken about um just in our conversation today you know my love of food um the importance of, of food sourcing and just knowing where my food is coming from um you know, gathering as, as a family, these are things that, um, and values that were cultivated in, you know, in my home growing up. Um, and also it, it was a very, very, um, hard, uncomfortable, uh, place to grow up. And, um, I think that while, 
while I choose to not have a relationship with my parents largely because I, um, I, I don't want to have a relationship uh, or for my children, frankly, to have a relationship with um, men or people who assault uh, women for, for sex. Um, that doesn't mean that I throw away, you know, my whole childhood or my whole past or, or all of the beautiful experiences and, um, and values that I, I was offered, um, you know, people, people are, are more than one thing. People mm-hmm. are complicated and, um, and I'm not inclined to forfeit the things that are important to me um, simply because of where they were cultivated or by whom they were cultivated. Um, You know, I get, I get to keep those things and uh, it's sometimes difficult to navigate um, differentiating um, the, the cause and, and the result, Mm -hmm. but, um, I, I feel, you know, also very grateful for how I was raised. Um, the, I mean, I, I had extraordinary experiences, uh, growing up as a child that, I mean, incredible experiences in travel and food and wine. Um, and, and all of those were provided for me, you know, by my parents, um, so, you know, while, while I can't maintain a relationship, I'm, I'm just, I'm not able, um, I also am not ready to, you know, throw the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah. Um, and, and everybody is, is different, but, um, I think that, uh, keeping choosing to focus on the beautiful parts of my upbringing while um, being true to my own values, priorities, beliefs of what is okay and what is not okay and how people are to or are not to be treated. Um, You know, I can have it all. And and that's what I choose for myself. And in terms of processing that, is it, have you used therapy? Has it been, you know, your yoga and meditation practice, a combo of all those things? Uh, yeah, all of those yeah, things. Yeah, I bet. In, when, I, when I talk about um, processing information through my practice, um, yeah, I mean, there, there, has been, there has been plenty to process. Yeah. Um, and, and sometimes, you know, what I've, what I've discovered is that, that sometimes it's easier just to let the information move through the body than to try and work it out um, mentally. And, and that clarity then follows. Yeah. And we store stuff in the body. So if you can work it through the body, you can often work it through the mind, I find. Yeah. yeah. That's I, I really appreciate you talking about kind of the idea of holding, you know, seemingly contradictory ideas in your head at once and in your heart at once, really. You know, I think that's such an important skill that we really don't talk about enough in general, but especially when we're talking about people who have done something that is bad. You know, the idea of like letting someone really be fully human and you still get to make a choice about if there need to be consequences, if you want that person in your life, how to protect yourself. 
but like not turning everything into like this is a good person or that person's a monster yeah i mean i the the kind of the um the anger and the tendency to judge is is frankly like it's just too exhausting for me i don't i don't have the energy um and i certainly am i i do work that's important to me and i really um am focused on taking care of myself and having the energy to do the things that are important to me. Yeah. And that means that I have to um, conserve my energy and be mindful about how I allocate my time and, you know, emotional resources and, and all of the things. And, and so really it's, it's, um, I, I choose, I choose to not be angry. I choose to not judge. I choose to um, try and understand as best I can and and then really um, focus my energy on, a, on, on doing the things that are, are really important. Mm-hmm. You know, my kids are important. My work is important. Um, advocacy and, and the work that I do in that space is so much more important to me than to like hang around being mad yeah Yeah. i mean you know anger anger is a really important thing you know um to feel and to allow yourself to feel and i could not agree more that you know ultimately when it's your life every day you get to make a choice about what matters to you that day and what to focus on yeah and it's interesting to see you know the advocacy but also i mean being a doula i mean you (laughs) i mean that not only is helping focus on women and enabling women to be their best they can be. I mean, there there is no more intimate moment to spend with someone than when they're giving birth. I mean, I can't even imagine being in that room with a couple while they're giving birth. So, I mean, that must be just an incredible experience for you. And it's sort of something you do, I don't want to say for fun, but... <laughs> You know, you're not retiring off what you make as a doula. It's really out of something. <laughs> yeah, it's really something you do because you love it. I do. I love it, um, and I I think that it's necessary. Um, I, you know, having gone through my personal experiences um, birthing my kids, you know, it I it just became clear to me. Um, what feeling supported could could really look like and feel like I, I didn't have awesome support so I, I arrived at kind of these ideas not from experiencing them but really having a very deep desire that um, that other women have alternative experiences to what I had mm-hmm. um, and you know I think uh, working, with my yoga practice, really understanding um, how the body works, how the breath works, um, and and how to hold space. Um, it it just was a very very natural um, practice for me to fall into. That's really cool. Well, I know you have to go. Name one quick thing that you're excited about right now for the world, for yourself, anything. Oh man. I mean, there's just so much to be excited about. Um, one of the things that I'm so excited about is I feel that the pandemic has um, 
made space for collaboration for mm-hmm. people to work together in in ways that they haven't uh, been able to before um, for competitors to come together t- for a common purpose um, I'm I'm super excited that I, I just feel that the world is is ready for um, all kinds of new ideas and and uh, change in perspective um, I'm excited for that great that's awesome thank you so we much love you. thank you for joining us today <laughs> See you you soon, I hope. Bye. Thank you. Stay well. (laughs) Thanks. Bye, love. And if you are enjoying this podcast, please subscribe and rate and review. Thank you so much for tuning in. Cheers.